hello and welcome to Spark at the Match podcast, where we chat everything Premier League from a Kiwi perspective. I'm Ralph Sinos. Joining me, football experts Michael Burgess and Ricardo Bull. How are we, gents? Good, thank you, Narelle. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Michael, how are you doing? Excellent. Always good to be talking football, especially uh, with this season, which has been um, just just absolutely incredible season. I can't remember a season like it, to be honest. I really can't. Yeah, it's been a roller coaster, and I think we're into the final third now. We haven't done one of these in a while, so I'd just love to get your thoughts on the last few months from the turn of the new year. Ricardo, I'll start with you. What have you made of the last two months? It's been really, really interesting. And, uh, you know, the thing that I think we've learned this season, and I, and I, you know, this is a season that we haven't never seen anything like it before in terms of the way the games have been spaced out, um, the amount of football the players have had to play in a condensed amount of time, as the turnarounds and the swings and roundabouts we've seen. Because, I mean, before Christmas, I think Manchester City were down to eighth. Uh, you know, they couldn't score a goal to save themselves. They had no Aguero. And we were thinking, man, are they, they, they're they good enough to be back in the top four at some point, but are they, are they actually going to get there? Uh, and then, bam. A few injuries. Pep seems to get things together. Man City have won, what, now 17 in a row, I think. Or 17 undefeated, at least. Top of the Premier League by 10 points. Um, And it's just been such an unpredictable season. And as somebody who likes to have a punt, uh, (laughs) she's she's been hard on the wallet. I'll tell you that much for free. (laughs) I can imagine, Michael. What about you? What have you made of it in the transfer window and signings coming in and out? Well, a good example, Narelle, the last time we spoke at the last Spark at the Game podcast, we were talking about Spurs. And now no one's talking about Spurs because they've disappeared without trace. I think they've won um, I think they've won three games this year. Uh, at the last podcast, they were, they, were, they were top of the table. So that's an example of how things have just switched so fast in this season. It's been unpredictable, but, but in a way it's been refreshing because it kind of takes me back to the, to the 1980s for the older EPL fans. Uh, because back then, um, you might have had the same teams winning it, Liverpool, Everton, that kind of thing. But during the season, uh, there were so many different clubs in the top half that were kind of challenging. And that's disappeared for a while. But this season, you have all kinds of teams up there. We had Villa up there for a while. Everton, look at what they're doing. We'll get to West Ham later. And unfortunately, we're going to have to talk about Liverpool at some stage. Um, let's not start there. But Liverpool, of course, their demise has been, has been a major storyline. And then you've got Manchester United's resurgence, Chelsea's resurgence, um, the, the the wonder that is Leeds, who I think have been a just such a breath of fresh air as a promoted team. So I can't remember a Premier League season with so many storylines. So I really can't. Yeah, it's actually yeah. interesting you say that, Michael, because nine different teams have led the Premier League this season. Nine. And one of those was Southampton. Yeah, <laughs> great stat. <laughs> It's crazy. Well, I mean, yeah, we don't want to start with Liverpool. Ricardo, I thought you were a Liverpool fan, but judging by your background, you obviously support Manchester United. Yeah, yeah. You're well picked up there, Narelle. Um, well, <laughs> I don't know why. I just had it in my head that all three of us were Liverpool fans. But let's start with Tottenham, shall we? And a lot mm. of people at the moment are calling for Jose Mourinho to be sacked. And I know we've all probably been there where we get a little bit impatient when we're not getting results. And you say it sort of, without a lot of weight, but I feel like these calls are growing louder by the day even. Uh, so, Ricardo, I'm not sure if you think that Spurs need to pull the trigger, but if so, I mean, who else is really available to come in? 
Well, that's, I think, part of the problem they've got uh, because they have waited for so long. And they've also tied Mourinho up on a really big contract. Um, so I think he signed through to 2024. So if Daniel wow. Levy wants to pull the trigger on Jose Mourinho, Spurs have to pay him out £35 million. Now, we all know how much Daniel Levy hates spending money. So can you see him doing it? I can't. I, I don't think they will. I think they will hold on to Mourinho summer and then and then have a look. Because the other thing with Spurs is financially, they're in trouble. They're kind of where Arsenal were when they built the Emirates, right? That they were like, okay, we've got the stadium. We need to pay the stadium off before we can really heavily invest in our squad. They had banked on having full houses every week. They had banked on having six NFL games a year in London that were going to use that stadium instead of Wembley. So there's all this cash that was coming into the club that's no longer there. So in a way, they're in a, in a, in a really difficult position. Um, sure, not making the Champions League or potentially not even making Europa League would be costly. But is it as costly as sticking with Mourinho? Uh, you know, do they give him a summer? Do they give him, try and do what they can with him and think, let's see if we can, if we can change the style uh, and, we can, and we can make a few things happen here? Uh, because otherwise it's 30 million, 35 million we're going to have to spend anyway. I, I think no, looking at Daniel Levy's track record, they will stick rather than twist with Mourinho. Michael, if you're in charge, what would you do? I've got to stay with him, Narelle. Um, it was always a strange decision. He wasn't. He was a really bad fit for Spurs, but he did have a short-term impact in terms of making them a bit harder to beat, a bit of a tougher, more resilient team. But even I've got some mates who are big Spurs fans, and they're not really enjoying watching their team anymore because it's it's a fairly negative style. It's back to Mourinho ball from sort of the the mid two thousands. But that's the way he plays. Uh, but they won't change managers now, basically because there's no one else. There's no one else to turn to, as well as Ricardo mentioned uh, the out clause that that the Portuguese is, is negotiated himself. So they'll stick with him, and they might even give him this to the start of next season because they've they've got to build something. And with all the uncertainty around COVID and stadiums, they can't afford to to take another chance on another manager. The main issue for Spurs, apart from Mourinho, is that is their lack of depth and their reliance on on Mr. Kane and and Son up front. You know, that, that's never changed in three or four seasons. Yeah, and I think actually yeah. that's, that's something, Narelle, that we might even see come this summer is, you know, Harry Kane and Son Heung-min looking around going, we're better than this. You know, do those guys then start agitating for a move? Uh, and then that changes the entire landscape at Spurs. Exactly. Um, but, I mean, look at what Chelsea did sacking Frank Lampard. I mean, I, I saw that as a big shock, a big surprise. And it was actually quite sad, but I think, you know, he had the time, he had the money to make that team great. And I think, yeah, they were just a little bit impatient and decided to pull the trigger. And now look at what's happened. Thomas Tuchel's taken charge and he's done a fantastic job. So it could be maybe the grass is greener on the other side, Michael. I'm not sure. Maybe other teams will follow <laughs> suit like Spurs. I mean, Lampard, you felt a bit of sympathy for him, but he was also very fortunate to get the job. You know, he's a, he's a, He's sort of like the equivalent of um, the intern uh, at a big company and suddenly he's the CEO. You know, he, he was given the job because he's a Chelsea hero. And most of the time that doesn't work. You know, most of the time football's pretty unforgiving. You've got to have experience. So he might come back to Chelsea. I mean, you never know. Maybe in five, six, seven years' time, when he, if he keeps managing, he might come back. Uh, but it was always a, a pretty risky scenario worth taking. The fans loved it for a while. But now they've got what I would term a real manager, in terms of someone who who knows the ins and outs of managing uh, in a professional 
environment, managing the dressing room, and just I mean, it's such a it's such a tough league, the Premier League. So Chelsea, they've been great, and he's provided the bounce, which which could see Chelsea uh, in the Champions League, and that that's massive. So that will justify the decision to let go of um, of poor Frankie. Yeah. Thing with Fat Frank, I thought was that Fat Frank. he, you know, when he took over and they had no, they had no uh, transfer window. They weren't allowed to buy players, right? But they had so many. Chelsea have always done this. They bank young players, sent them out on loan, tried to develop a few come through, but then they make money selling the ones that don't. So he was able to, while he couldn't buy players, he actually had quite a lot of players. He had a lot to choose from. He could br- bring new blood in, and a lot of those guys that he could bring in. He was a hero to them. So in that first season, he had a complete free pass because of the transfer embargo that they had. And he did really well with young guys who looked up to him and said, yes, sir, no, sir, three bags full, sir, plus a few guys who are ex-teammates. You, then you give him some money. And honestly, it was like me with you know football manager in 2015 going, oh, I'll, <laughs> I'll buy that player, I'll buy that player. But it's like, Frank, how many number 10s and wingers do you want? Because I think they could probably put three really good front threes out there um yet you get some old brazilian guy who's never played in the premier league to shore up your back line which is where the real problem was you know so i i think that was where you saw frank's fall down i i, I think they could have done better with the director of football i mean they had a new one of those two and peter check who's not particularly um experienced in, in, on that front so yeah it was it was tough on Frank, I think, um, but I think he was exposed there. Uh, maybe the club didn't support him enough, uh, as I mentioned, with a proper director of football. But yeah, I think he will see him back coaching. I think he did some good things, but he's a player. He's a he's a coach. I think that needs to start with a younger team and, and and build a team, and then maybe if he can do that, say in the championship or something, he might he might come back and as a Premier League manager somewhere down the line. Well, someone else who I would like to see is a Premier League manager, Stephen Gerrard, and I know there's been. A lot of calls for Jurgen Klopp's head, mainly from people on social media. I mean, he's had a pretty rough time, hasn't he? I mean, losing his mum, not being able to go to the funeral and then results on the pitch not going their way either. And I know Jurgen Klopp, it's not the right time for him to leave. I don't want him to go. But you do think he is going to leave one day, isn't he? And who would be a better man to replace him than Stevie G? But then I'd hate to see what happened to Frank Lampard happen to him, Michael. I'm just I'm just back and forth. Well... Yeah, Stevie G, uh, not right now and not for a while, and, and he would come in under so much expectation and pressure, so that would be horrible to see Stevie G, given what he went through towards the end of his Liverpool career. Um, look, I hate to talk about replacing Klopp. I'd be happy to, to see him there for life. You know, he, he, is, he has turned this club around in a way that I will never forget. I thought Rafa Benitez was amazing, and he was. I thought Jared Julio was amazing, and he was. But what Jurgen Klopp has done for a team that had more expectation on them than any other team in England it was absolutely, is absolutely incredible. So he, he deserves a couple more seasons at least. Hopefully he gets an extension. That's how I look at it. If he does leave, I would love to see a guy like Pochettino. I think he'll last about three years at, in Paris and he's so well suited to Premier League uh, football and he's still got something to prove in England. And then maybe Stevie G, he's only a young man. What is Stevie G? He's not even, um, he's not even 40. Maybe Stevie comes in in um, in five years, but he's got got a long way to go. So uh, Klopp is no, he he's the man that needs to be there for for a long a long time yet. I would say. 
Yeah, I think that's that's fair. I mean, like as a United fan, I'd love to see Klopp go. You know, and I think that's how that's how you measure how good a manager is. If if, if you know, uh, your, your opposing fans are like, God, I wish he would leave. Um, that would be great. Uh, but you know, he's a very very good manager, um, and you know, he's got still got a lot of time. It, I guess it depends on what Klopp wants to do too, because there is something brewing. I think over in Germany, you know, we've got the Euros this summer or the European summer. Jurgi Lowe, how he's still in that job, I have no idea. But po- post this tournament, he's definitely gone, right? So what happens then? Because the if you're the German FA, uh, the natural progression is Hansi Flick, who was the number two there, who's now at Bayern. If the Bayern job comes up, Klopp's lost his mum, wants to be closer to his dad. You know, who knows? Maybe maybe that's the trigger that, that, that gets Klopp to go. I think Michael's right on Stevie G. I think too early. Um, you know, I, with all respect to the Scottish League, it's really two teams and the other team had lost a couple of their best players and then didn't reinvest in the squad, whereas he got pretty much anything and everybody he wanted. So uh, I think he's a bit of a protected species up there. And I, I'd like to see him once again, maybe at some point go to a team that's vying for promotion in the championship and see if he can do it there, um, much like Frank, you know, did, I guess, at Derby. I think he needs a bit more experience in that. Uh, in terms of if Klopp was to go, say, this summer, who would you bring in? I actually think uh, Back to the Future is the way to go. I would look at Brendan Rodgers because I think Brendan Rodgers is a lot better manager now than he was when he was at Liverpool the first time. He's a really pragmatic guy. He can work in different systems. We've seen that. I mean, when he went to Leicester, the way Leicester set up is not the way he set up at Celtic or the way he set up at Liverpool or the way he set up at Swansea. It was different, but he went, well, I don't usually play with a Jamie Vardy type striker, but man, it works. So I'm going to change the way I play because this is what fits. So I think Brendan Rodgers uh, would be a would be a great fit at Liverpool if they were looking to replace Jurgen Klopp this summer. See, I don't know. I mean, I get what you guys are saying. It probably is too early for Steven Gerrard. I mean, yeah, the Scottish Premier League compared to the English Premier League isn't really comparable, is it? But I just I just feel it. Like if I had to put money on the next Liverpool manager, it would be Stevie G. But of course, it's not really. I mean, Jurgen Klopp's time to go. But we do have to talk about Liverpool's demise, their collapse. I don't think we've seen a bigger fall of grace quite like this. I mean, they lost, what, four successive home league games the first time since before TV was invented. I mean, that's just unheard of. Everton winning at Anfield. I mean, how many more records are we going to break that we don't want broken? You know, Michael, and being a Liverpool fan, I think you can probably resonate with me. It's, it's just not fun watching them anymore. Like, I don't look forward to getting up at three o'clock in the morning just to see us lose a game we probably should have won. Can I start with some good news? Good news yeah. is Narelle we're not going to get relegated, okay? <laughs> we're on 40 points. We're not going to get relegated. Unlike Manchester United in the, in the 1970s, we are not going down to the second division. So that that's a good platform to start with. Love the uh, thing there, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, look, it's been, it's been tough. It's been tough. But you're talking about a, a slide which is unprecedented, but you're also talking about what they did was unprecedented. So measuring it against what they did, I mean, 97 points, um, uh, the season before last, 98 points last year, they were chasing the best team in Premier League history and they caught them. So it, it's kind of all catching up on them. There are some issues. The big issue is recruitment and they got a bit cocky in the off-season. Got a bit cocky, I think, not not looking at their defensive stocks and not signing another central defender. And then they got cocky again when Van Dyke got injured and didn't think, right, we've got to, we've got to find someone. They kind of just thought, oh, we will, we'll, we'll make do. Because that's what Klopp and their football director, who's been amazing, um, that's what they've been doing for these last three seasons. Everything they try just works. So they thought, oh, it'll work. We'll find a way. 
And then they got hit with more injuries. And as we know, they've had, I think I was reading 17 or 18 centre-back combinations. So you put any team in that position and they're going to struggle. I mean, Manchester City last year fell apart when they lost Laporte. And that's one central defender. And they, they were never the same again. So um, Liverpool, they'll bounce back. It has been terrible. I mean, the contrast, as you say, Norell, I mean, I think they went um, something like 1,300 days unbeaten in Anfield in the league. And now they've lost four in a row. So it's a hell of a contrast. Um, the main issue has been defensively, they just, it's just not working. And that permeates throughout the team. Allison's also had some problems with his confidence. Uh, and the strikers, okay, they're not scoring goals, but the main issue is at the back and in midfield. Uh, but it can be turned around, and I'm sure it will be. Uh, but boy, oh boy, yeah, it's been it's been a massive shock for us, Narelle, I have to admit, after what we've got used to over the last three years. But, you know, it can't always be... There's got to be sweet and sour moments following a sports team, and this is going to make us appreciate it so much when they bounce back. Hmm. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, Liverpool over the last three seasons... Have been really fortunate with injuries. Um, I got another mate of mine in the UK who's a big Liverpool fan, and we speak about football all the time. And you know, he's always said, "You not enough credit is given to the physios and the strength and conditioning guy and people like that at Liverpool because they just keep players on the pitch. They don't seem to get injuries." Um, so I wondered, you know, if you look at Klopp at Dortmund and you look at Klopp at Liverpool, it was at about five years that Dortmund fell off the cliff um, under Klopp as well, and it was that it was the amount of pressing that that team does the amount of miles in the legs of his players eventually catches up to them and I'm wondering if that's what we're seeing this season um, I think Michael's right I mean looking pre-season you, you sold the uh, self-proclaimed best defender in the world in Dejan Lovren and didn't, <laughs> and, and, and didn't replace him um, that's right. yeah and, and then I, and then which what I find is really interesting is you've had a summer a, a, a mid-season window now and you've bought two centre-backs and I think this is partly where, where Klopp has got it wrong as well, because I know he's got, you know, Phillips and Williams who are the younger guys. Well, I mean, Phillips isn't that young. What's he, 23 now? Uh, but you bring in Davies and you bring in uh, Quebec, the young German kid. So now you have got four centre-backs in your squad and you still play your best midfielder at centre-back. I think he would have been better playing, say, Quebec and Williams or choosing two of those. Davies, maybe because he knows the English game. He's been there. Play them and put Jordan Henderson in front of them. Get him to sit a little bit more, be less eight, be more six, and give them some protection so they have less to do and learn the game there. And I think that's a mistake that Klopp has made um, because I think once he had those centre-backs, why are you buying Ben Davies? You haven't used him yet, and you've got a massive injury problem at the back. Um, and I think the other thing is, too, is a lack of leadership. Virgil van Dijk might not have had the captain's armband when Jordan Henderson was on the field, but he was very much a captain on the field. And I think you're seeing that particularly, you know, Trent Alexander-Arnold's form has really fallen away this season. What I can't remember which game it was. It might have been the Man City game at Anfield. He gave the ball away 63 times, <laughs> you know, in that game. And, and you know, and for a kid like him, or he's not really a kid anymore, but, you know, for a player like him, who has been so integral to the way Liverpool have played the last two seasons when they have been successful, to all of a sudden fall off the cliff as well. It's, you know, that Van Dyke presence, that leadership on the field, I think. And now with Henderson missing for who knows how long, how, how are they going to rectify that? Yeah, but, I mean, Michael, you touched on it before. I think since the the break in the season I think Liverpool signed three defenders and Diogo Jota so they only really brought in one attacking player obviously trusting the front three which usually do the job but we're also having problems at that end of the pitch as well and you've got to wonder if it does stem 
from the back, not having Virgil van Dijk in there, does it sort of have a knock-on effect to the strikers? Because you can't just say that the defence are leaking in goals because we can't even score them either. Yeah, there's a whole range of issues. I mean, Van Dyke was the difference last season and the season before, the way he transformed the team. And he's going to be the difference this season. His, his loss has, has kind of changed everything. Um, there's issues up front. There was always going to be. Again, it's a bit about Klopp just got... They, everyone just got a bit overconfident at Liverpool because things were working so well. And there was always going to come a point where Sadio Mane was going to drop his, his form a little bit or Roberto Firmino. Jots has been injured, which has been unfortunate. The, the Japanese kid, Minamino, probably wasn't the right fit. He's now going well outset, at Southampton. Um, so it seems like it's a really tough fix. There are some issues, but I, I don't think it's too hard. I think they, they need some confidence. They need some goals. It will come. They've got some slightly easier games coming up. Nothing seems easy at the moment, but they have got some slightly easier games coming up. And I also wonder if a little Champions League run, and we've got to hope for small things, is another way to boost the confidence. They did look like a different team against Leipzig the other night. Um, and so that taking the pressure off of being in the Premier League and playing some more Champions League, if they get that going, they could be a different team. Because you look at someone like Allison, he is he was the best keeper in England last last season. And this season, he's making mistakes that you just haven't seen him make. And that's the sign of a guy under pressure. So they've got to find a way to relieve the pressure. And they will. They'll find a way. Klopp's a very smart man. He's surrounded by smart people. So I'm looking forward to the resurgence, and um, I know Ricardo is too. Secretly, he is. <laughs> There's a bit of Schneidenfreud going on at the moment. Let me say that. Yeah, well, it's almost like it's sort of a worry that Liverpool aren't even going to make Champions League. But to be honest, I'd rather finish 10th than qualify for Europa League. And I'm sure that's a dilemma you've had to deal with um, in your life, Ricardo. <laughs> Manchester United, though, flying high in what's second place. Um, you guys are having a pretty outstanding season. I know that. In terms of the title race, Manchester United at the moment is everybody's second team because they're the only ones that can keep that gap to a short distance of Manchester City. But talk about your season so far. Yeah, it's been a it's been a bit of a roller coaster. It didn't start well. I mean, losing to Palace at home um, early on was like you know, I don't know, here we go again. Um, but it's certainly been turned around. I've, and I think you know you can't underestimate the importance of Bruno Fernandes to that team. Um, I think he's been involved in. He's had 59 games at United and he's been there for a year now and he's been involved in 56 goals. You wow. know, so uh, either scoring or, or creating. So that has made a massive difference uh, to that squad. There are still there are still things that need fixing. I, I don't know that uh, Lindelof is the long-term partner for Maguire. I mean, Solskjaer wants a left-footed centre-back to play alongside him. Baye's too injury-prone. Um, I don't know if Fred's the answer in midfield. We don't know if Pogba's staying or if Pogba's going. Um, I think we're starting to see a better Pogba and that comes from having better players around him. So things I think are on the up. I think Oli Solskjaer is doing good things at the club uh, and I'm more and more convinced that he is the right guy to, to take us forward. Uh, I just hope that we can get a proper director of football in and uh, not have to rely on the guy uh, that does shirt deals to uh, try and buy <laughs> players for us. <laughs> Yeah, I've loved that over the last few years, Ricardo. Um, I don't get to watch Manchester United much, unfortunately. My schedule never aligns, and it's very unfortunate. But um, all I would say is Fernandez has been the signing of the last two seasons. He has transformed that team. Uh, wonderful piece of transfer work, because I'm sure there are plenty of clubs looking at him. And um, and Pogba just shows what can happen, because he's been one of the, the best players in January. You know, a guy that was so frustrating, and everyone knew how good he was. 
January has been he's been simply amazing. So no, I didn't think United would be this good. I thought they were such a um, up and down team, but but lately they've been they've been mostly up. So so full credit to them. You know they've, they've yeah. really done well. Well, there's uh, it's been um, explained to me about Pogba from someone that watched a lot of Serie A, and they said that you know he's not the guy who leads the team. He's not the guy that you bring in and makes a bad team good. He's a guy that you bring in and makes a good team great. So if you put good pieces around him, he flourishes. But he's not that leadership type player. And I think there was an expectation that we'd put Pogba in our midfield and all our midfield issues would disappear. But that wasn't the case because we didn't have good enough players in that midfield around him. And that's now changed with having Fernandez there. Hopefully Donny van der Beek comes good as well, gets some more time. Uh, you know, we've got youngsters like Greenwood coming through, Ahmad, that we just signed out of Atalanta, um, who apparently looks very good. He's had a couple under-23 games. I think he scored three goals, created three assists in two games uh, at, uh, at under-23. So the signs are good. Um, and it'll be interesting to see what they do in the summer. Yeah, well, Manchester United um, obviously loaned out Jesse Lingard, who's gone to West Ham. I missed that news completely. Then West Ham played, and I saw Jesse Lingard scored, and I was like, what is going on? But I think maybe that's a loan move that Manchester United might live to regret. I mean, you look at the table, and it's surprising to see West Ham in and amongst the top four week in, week out. But Jesse Lingard, I think he's probably going to be one of the transfers of the season. In my opinion, Ricardo, I'm not sure how you feel about the guy. Yeah, no, it's good. I mean, Jesse's had a lot going on in the background. Um, his mum's been really sick and he's been in charge of his two, he had two younger siblings. So he's been doing school runs, he's been doing homework, he's been doing all of that stuff. And I think he had to grow up real quick. Um, and then he got a couple of injuries and his head just wasn't there. Um, he's talked about it in a couple of interviews through Man United TV. Uh, so I think a move for him at the moment is quite good just so he can get some games, get some games, get some games. They've, they've triggered a year extension in the contract. So I guess it's a look now for Ollie to say, well, can we bring him in and can he do us a job? Or does that just mean that we get some decent coin from him from, from West Ham or from Everton or from whoever we sell him, if we sell him in the summer? So I think it's a good move. And to be honest, Jamal, I don't think we have to worry about uh, Jesse Lingard or Messi Lingard as, uh, as he used to dub himself when he, when he scored those goals against Arsenal. I think it's more... Uh, Chelsea and Liverpool and possibly Tottenham that have to worry about the impact that Lingard's having there because uh, West Ham are currently, what are they, currently sitting fourth um, and those teams are all below them. And uh, if he can keep doing that for West Ham, then it's going to be a struggle for those teams to break into the top four. Michael, what do you think of Jesse Lingard or any other transfers that you've seen that are proving to pay off or maybe that haven't yet flourished? He's been the standout. He has he has helped to transform West Ham, um, and he was, it's a funny with him. He was never actually really a regular at Manchester United. Even when he was playing for England, he was sort of always struggling to to bolt down a position at United. Whereas he can go to West Ham and be sort of the man. But on on Ricardo's point at West Ham, I think they'll I think they'll fall away. Um, they've had an amazing time. They won't stay in the top four. Um, they're a funny team, West Ham. The, the, the underachieved for so long and there's always such big expectations on them. So I think actually they're one of the teams that are actually benefiting from having no fans in the stadium because their fans get on their, get on their teams back so often, mm. create so much pressure, especially at that new stadium, which all the fans hate since they moved from Upton Park. So they'll actually benefit from not, not having fans in the stadium. They've done really well. David Moynes knows how to get teams to this sort of level, to fifth, fourth, that sort of thing. They don't have the quality to stay there. Uh, so they will slip back down. But but Hammers fans, this is a great time for them. This is the best West Ham team since um, 
the 986 season when they finished third and they had guys like Tony Cotty, Frank McAvenny, and that team is still talked about. And so it's nice that this team will be another team to talk about all these years later. So nice for West Ham, uh, but they certainly, it'll be a battle for Champions League, but I can't see West Ham staying, staying up there. Yeah, and it's you know it's uh, another player who I think, um, Narell, if we're talking about players that have made a difference coming in in, in mid-season, is uh, Josh Marger, who uh, Fulham have got online from Bordeaux. Uh, I don't know if you guys ever watched the Sunderland Till I Die documentary series, but he came through at Sunderland, scored goals for fun for them for a little while, and then when his contract was up, he was like, why would I stick around here? Bordeaux came in for him and he went to Bordeaux. Well, Fulham have brought him in and he's been really good for them. He's almost been the missing piece because Fulham have been playing some really good football under Scott Parker for the last few months, but haven't been getting the results. I think they've got 10 or 11 draws this season. Um, and a lot wow. of those games, they've played the better football and haven't won. But now Marge is giving them that edge. He gives them more of a focal point to the attack because I think Mitrovic maybe is not quite quick enough. Uh, and he looks to me to be the player that could actually help keep Fulham up. And uh, I've been really enjoying watching him play. And speaking of teams who benefit from not having any fans in the stadium, or maybe it doesn't affect them so much, you know, you just look at the top of the table. Manchester City, they're used to playing in front of no one, so it hasn't affected them. <laughs> very good. Um, but someone else that you were quite keen to talk about, Michael, uh, Leeds United, I think you said they're one of the best promoted teams you've seen in recent history, especially by the way that they play. Oh, they're just wonderful. They've just been a breath of fresh air. Like... Uh, Promoted teams normally normally struggle. They normally um, start well for a couple of months and then and then fall away. But they, they try and be resolute and solid. But it's always a struggle. Often two of the three teams go down. But Leeds, I mean, okay, they're still sitting around 32, 33 points. They're going to be safe. They're going to stay up. But some of the performances they put in this season against some of the big clubs, I just love the way they'll go to any. They'll go to Anfield. They'll go to Manchester City. They'll go to Arsenal. They'll go to Old Trafford. And they'll, they'll just really take the game to them. You know, they're not... And that's backfired sometimes. It's backfired really badly, especially against United. But they're prepared to do it. Uh, and I think that what they've brought to the Premier League has been just so much excitement. And I know a lot of neutral fans enjoy watching them because you never quite know what's going to happen. So very happy for Leeds. They were the team that everyone's kept saying, oh, wouldn't it be great to see Leeds back in the Premier League? They're, they're such a big club, a bit like Aston Villa. They're finally back. And, and I feel like they're here to stay, especially if they manage to, to convince Bielsa, who doesn't normally like to hang around too long. If they manage to convince Bielsa that, hey, this is a project, Marcelo, and we want you here for another good few years, I think they could become a real, a real story and they'd be wonderful. Yeah, that Leeds team have been very good. They've been entertaining. Uh, it's guaranteed you're always going to get goals when Leeds play um, because of the way that they like to play, you know. And I, I think it was uh, the Wolves manager who talked about going into that game against Leeds recently. He said, we can't play basketball with them. And I thought that was a really good analogy with the way that Leeds play because it is just pace. It's back and forward. You're up and down the field all 90 minutes, you know. Uh, and as Burge said, you know, that caught them out against United when they went to Old Trafford. But, I mean, they ran Liverpool close first game of the season. And then what was that, 4-3 mm. at Anfield? Mm. You know, so it, it, it can work on its day. Uh, if they get a couple of, a couple of better defenders um, you know, and maybe somebody to support Phillips uh, sort of anchoring midfield, then they could address some of those problems uh, and, and maybe, you know, climb the ladder next season, depending on what they can do in the summer. Can we all agree, though, that Sheffield United are probably going down? I don't think there's any probably about it. <laughs> I think they're gone. What, no great escape? 
I don't think so. I don't think they've got the goals in them, to be un- to, to be honest, you know. And it's really unfortunate because what Chris Wilder did there last season was really, really good. Um, he developed some really uh, innovative ideas on, on, on how to play. In fact, if you watched Manchester City uh, recently, Pep's incorporated some of that that I've never seen Man City do before this season. But, you know, you end up with Cancelo uh, playing almost in midfield, pushing in and, and into that holding midfield role when they have the ball, and John Stones ends up on the wing. That's a Sheffield United move. That's what Chris Wilder was doing with his centre-backs that was confusing the opposition. So you got to tip your hat to Chris Wilder. He's an innovator. The problem for them is that their purchases up front haven't worked. Ollie McBurney hasn't scored the goals that you would expect for the money they spent for him. And, you know, the kid that they brought in from um, from Liverpool, Rian Brewster, uh, he really hasn't when he's been on the field. And to be honest, I think they should give him more chances because I don't think he's had enough time on the park. It's a sad story. They're going down. Um, and the other kind of sad story is uh, Sam Allardyce at West Brom because he's always been known as sort of the uh, the fireman. You know, he comes in when there's these emergencies. He rescues these clubs. And I think he had a great record at one stage of, I've never been relegated. That's going to change. You know, West Brom are doomed as well. And, and I wonder if they're regretting uh, letting go of Slavin Bilic because I thought under Slavin Bilic there were some, okay, good signs and bad signs. Under Allardyce, it was always it was always a gamble. So, for me, those two teams are gone. And the big question is um, is who's the one to join them? Because there, there's no doubt, unfortunately, it's a really sad story about Sheffield United. They were, they brought a lot to the league last year, but they'll bounce back as we'll see with Norwich this year. Norwich are going to come back up easily. I think Sheffield United will do the, do the same. But the question mark is on the third team to go down. <clears throat> yeah, I think. We talk about teams benefiting from fans in the stadium. I think Sheffield United were definitely one of those teams. I mean, Bramwell Lane was pumping mm. week in, week out. Mm. But how about this one? Can we all agree that Manchester City are going to win the title? I mean, it's theirs to lose, right? I think so. But I wouldn't give it to them just yet because the caveat for me is Europe. Um, you know, they, they play Champions League. Their campaign starts again this week. Um and that's really going to be the focus for Pep. He's not managed to win the Champions League since leaving Barcelona. There's a lot of people that say he can't do it without Messi. Uh, since he's been at Man City, he hasn't got them past the quarterfinals, which when you look at the squad they've got, you kind of have to scratch your head about how that works. Uh, so it's one thing winning games in the Premier League when you don't have De Bruyne and you don't have Aguero and you don't have Fernandinho, and he's done that. But now to balance it with a European campaign, how is that going to go for him? And how will it affect their domestic form? So... I think you're probably right, but I'm not willing to give it to them just yet. A little caveat that let's just see how they go in Europe. Uh, they've got it. Michael? They've got it. Uh, they've got it. Uh, they've conceded, I think, 15 goals or 18 goals this season. It's just it's just stunning what they're doing uh, defensively, let alone their attack is something else. So they, they've got the title. Ricardo's speaking out of hope uh, because he's hoping <laughs> that they, they fall over a bit of United, um, surprise everyone and, and win a title a couple of years ahead of schedule, but no, I think City have got it. And I guess how crucial are the next few weeks of the Premier League season? I guess it's really just the race for the top four, but are you sort of anticipating any bold predictions over the next four weeks? I mean, there's still quite a few rounds left to play, but Ricardo, I'll start with you. Is this sort of the make or break period for some teams? Mm, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, think it, I think it very much is. Um, and, you know, I, I look at, I know we've talked about Liverpool, but I think, 
I think Leicester are going to be there. I, I, I think they've got enough depth and they're playing some really good football. They're picking up the results. I think United will be there. I think City will be there. So everybody else is gunning for one place, basically, at the moment. That's, that's kind of how I see it. Uh, and I think it's going to be really interesting. What does Jurgen Klopp do at Liverpool? Especially now he's lost Henderson. How can he change things? He's got his front choice, front three, and they're not firing. Does he drop Bobby Firmino? Because he's not he's not really playing particularly well. If he does that, does he have to change then the whole way they operate up front because of how Firmino really plays as a 10 rather than a 9, if you like? Um, so, yeah, very important at the moment. I mean, to be honest, the way things are at the moment, and depending on how long Henderson's out, there's some reports it could be up to a month, then I don't think Liverpool make the top four. Good call. Um, yeah, the top four, they, it comes down to Ricardo's right with the first three he mentioned. And then the other contenders would be uh, uh, West Ham, Chelsea, I guess Everton and an outside. I don't think Everton are good enough uh, away from home. And also Jordan Pickford is just, just too erratic in goal. Um, and then these days you've got to talk about Liverpool being just a contender for top four. They're a long way off the pace right now. Um, there are a couple of signs of hope. What Ricardo mentioned is Jurgen Klopp's maybe his biggest challenge of his Liverpool career so far, what he's going to do in the next few weeks. Uh, they've got some potentially winnable games, so they win a couple, things change. The other thing in Liverpool's favour, if you look at their last four games of the season, um, Southampton, West Brom, Burnley, Crystal Palace. So, okay, those teams might be might all be jostling for relegation and desperate, but in general, that's a nice way to end the season if it means they need to pick up 12 points to make Champions League. But I think in summary, something is just going to happen around Liverpool Way sooner or later where the team's going to wake up and remember who they are and what they used to do, and, and they will come right. I think there's too many good players in that team. There's too much belief. Uh, in that team. And they've been through a lot of hard times in the last three or four seasons. You know, the way they lost that title to City by one point uh, was was dreadfully hard emotionally. And they showed such strength to to then come even better the next season. So they're, they're a tough team and, and they will come back. I think there's too much quality for them. And they'd be my team to finish in fourth. Fierce he he says completely neutrally. <laughs> and I was, was going to say too, you know, that whole how gutting it is to lose the league by one point. Mate, try losing the league when the whistle is gone on the final day of the season at your game and the, the opposition, uh, the other team vying for the title are drawing at home to QPR. And you Yeah, think but you'd won, won, you'd won, you'd won 13 you leagues before that in the last 14 years. Honestly. So it was just like... It was just like, you know, shall I get fish and chips or shall I have Indian? It wasn't it wasn't a big deal because it was going to happen again. But when you've been waiting since you were um since you were 15, 14 years old, when Liverpool last won the league, you know, there was there was no internet, there was uh there was barely TV. Um so it had been a long wait. That that's the that's the comparison, mate. Yeah, all right. I do all feel right. sorry for you though, Ricardo. Wasn't the stage getting brought out and everything for the presentation and <laughs> Yeah, well, we were away. I'm trying to remember where we were. We were at Middlesbrough or at Blackburn. We were at one of those, so I can't remember which one it was. We were at one of those, and we had done enough, we thought. And then Aguero turns up with that last-minute goal um, at like four minutes, five minutes into added time to win Manchester City. The league. I'll tell you what, the neighbourhood got woken up when that happened. The remote went oh, across the lounge. It wasn't, it wasn't a happy place, my place. I can imagine. I'm um, Jim Dillon. Thank you so much for joining me. It's safe to say it's going to be a crazy last few weeks in Premier League. And um, I hope you enjoy it. And we'll see you again soon. Look forward to it, Narelle. Oh, I can't wait. It's been a wonderful season. And I feel like it's only going to get better. <laughs>